If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. champagne <laughs> true i could literally drink a thing of champagne by myself i was like shit it's probably good if we just have you know one bottle so i'll just get one bottle surely i mean we could like split it between two people oh. that's completely reasonable right completely <laughs> completely <clears throat> yes champagne's my favorite champagne 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 we have um a podcast cat with us today so she's going to be snuggling and annoying the shit out of us hi rose <laughs> hi patrice hi Marlena. <laughs> i was like we haven't said hi yet <laughs> uh yeah so we're um we're going classic classy combination of alcohol bubbles and sugar right flat out just easy ass mimosas today what could go wrong <laughs> What could go wrong? <laughs> so that's the cat. I'm like, man, she is an attention hog right now. She is. I may have to kick her out. That's okay. okay. Do you need to kick her out now? No. She hasn't brought anything living in with her this time. No. The last time she was on the show was yes. like our first episode. First episode. And we had a chipmunk emergency. We did. We had to like pause the podcast to go chase a chipmunk and re-release it to the wild yeah she had she doesn't have that opportunity this time my cat's been like catching mice and vomiting them on my front stoop oh gross so that's super lovely every morning the vomiting that's new yeah well she's got irritable bowel syndrome which you find out about your cats after they get old and it's yeah so she takes daily medicine Mm, bless that's horrible but at least now she doesn't vomit all over everything in the house which is what she was doing Wow. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Yum. <laughs> For us, it's Friday. So yes. TGIF. Woohoo. Mm. Mimosas. Um, we don't have much pre-show show. Oh, let me open up my... Um, no, not really. We just, as we started this uh, recording, touched base to confirm our Jacksonville show date hey so doing a jacksonville show yes we're doing a hometown and um we are going to be doing it uh, pardon my <laughs> burping all Champagne. the bubbles we've already had two glasses so mm-hmm. um we're going to be doing it on september 20th it's a friday night at 8 p.m at the stone center on Jacksonville State University campus in Jacksonville, Alabama. Yes. And it will be done as at least partial or possibly complete fundraiser for the drama department at Jacksonville State University, which has been a big help for us when we were getting started and doing our first live shows. Yes. Taught us all the tech stuff and things. And they're awesome. And And they're they're all our friends and we love them. So we uh, we are going to be there and it is going to be super duper fun. So come out, make your plans 8 p.m. Saturday, the 20th of September. And we'll put it on the socials and everything too. And you guys can 
get in there and get on it. Right. And don't forget that we're doing the Halloween show in October. And that date is the 26th. That's a Saturday night. Right. In Montgomery, Alabama. At the Goat House. The Goat House. So visit our website and it has all the information on that. And we may have an Eventbrite soon. Yes. You can buy tickets. Yes. Where you can buy tickets in advance. And like we said last week, buy tickets. Yes. Because it's limited seating. It's going to be very cozy. And don't, like, the tickets are inexpensive. It's like $10 a seat. It will be cozy, and your ticket will include a free drink and a little, like, raffle ticket or swag from us. Right. So, yeah, it's totally worth your money. I mean, like, way more than worth your money to come and And listen to us. You know what? I'm not going to sit here and beg you to come and listen to us. (laughs) You're listening to me right now. God damn it. So you want to come, and you want to come to Montgomery, and you want to buy my fucking tickets. So, um... We're going to dress up in costumes, and you're going to dress up, too. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm bossy today. Right? You're going to dress up, you're damn it. do it. So it'll be a lot of fun. You will have fun. Mm-hmm. Rose came over to, like, comfort me. She's like, obviously, you're irritated about something. <laughs> she, I'm well, going to lay down on you now. She's probably just pissed off because I just threw her off my lap because oh. she was annoying Oh, me. yeah. She did just lay down, like, flopped on me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Hi, pretty girl. You just have to watch your claws. Yeah, I've She's, got one like that. Okay. Oh, damn. You're not even kidding. Girl, you got some, you got some sharp nails on you. She does. So. All right. That's basically all we got for. Oh, let's say we hit 100 um, on our fan club. Yeah. Thanks to Noelle for pointing that out to me because I had no idea it happened. Yay. Yay! We love you. Absolutely. So if you're not a member of the fan club um, on Facebook, come and join us we've got like a great group of people that are posting just fun weird and creepy shit all the time oh yeah thanks by the way for that like halloween elf on the shelf idea (laughs) oh my god the two or three of you that posted that (gasps) i just sat there and like i couldn't even look at those photos no (laughs) (laughs) and everybody was like i'm gonna do this to my kids i was like i could not my kid would like super glue himself to me if i did that and i wouldn't blame him because i may super glue myself to him as well oh my god <laughs> it's oh horrifying but is... so funny so yes. yeah thanks for doll that. in the hall doll nope. in the hall which is i mean i like that idea much more than elf in the shelf so right. you know and i hate dolls so there you go yes and uh also we want to give a shout out to our patrons on patreon patreon Woo! so do you want to read them do you want me to read them yeah i'll read them okay you read our them. patrons right now are alexandra Catherine, chad Corey, Heather, Jenna, Jennifer, Marie, Other Patrice, Teresa, and Todd slash Paige. <laughs> Thank you. And you guys are awesome. And we love you. We do love you. Thank you so much for helping us do what we do. And come say hey to us if you make it to the Jacksonville show yeah, um, we'll or any other stuff. show. Yeah, totally. But that's only for patrons. And we know who you are. We know who you are. <laughs> it's branded on your forehead. So, yay. <gasps> All right. I am going to start today. Okay. My tale takes place in Yazoo City, Mississippi. Yazoo! I've been to Yazoo once. I uh, went to a wedding there for a friend, and um, or of a friend. And it's a really cute little town. It's like downtown has like these cute little buildings. They're painted all these bright little colors. And it's in the Delta, and I think I've mentioned this before, you know, the Mississippi Delta, it's its own universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's 
the poorest place in the nation, basically. But it is so unique geographically because of it's it is a delta, like <laughs> it, it is just crazy. Um, and so I was doing some research on it, and right now Yazoo City has probably about fourteen thousand people living there. And it's named after the Yazoo River, which in turn was named by the French explorer Robert LaSalle. Oh, okay. I was like, what What nationality does Yazoo come from? Well, and that's not really a nation. It's actually named after the Yazoo tribe oh. that lived at the river's mouth. And so that's where he got the name. It's also known as the Gateway to the Delta. And it's had some pretty bad luck. So during the Civil War, the Union soldiers completely burned it down. They had like epidemic of yellow fever, which y'all, I just looked up yellow fever because I'm talking about yellow fever all the time Mm because it's so rampant in the South. It's it's, in all the stories. It's in all of our stories. Um, And it's because it's caused by mosquitoes. Which we have way too many of. Way too many of. So that's the thing. Uh, it also uh, had like Great Mississippi Flood of 1927, which is like a huge deal, did a lot of damage to the entire Delta. And like in 2010, uh, an F4 and an F2 of oh, in no. the same year hit uh, Yazoo City and surroundings and they suffered a lot of damage and a couple of deaths. So it's not been that lucky. And I was looking into this, and here is my story mm-hmm. that may explain some of its unluck. Uh-oh. Oh, and you know what? Also, they've had, like, really bad flooding in the Delta. And uh, a former student was posting on Facebook talking about, like, all of this water and how it's not receding. And nobody's talking about it. Like, this huge flood disaster that they're having. Like, in the, right now. In, in the press has not covered it. And... um so it was just really interesting. So if you want to look up about the flooding that's happened this year that has Ooh. not been covered at all in the press, uh, you know, look up Delta flooding uh, on Facebook. They've got a page actually that shows, you know, and what I mean, the Delta is all farming. So if it floods, then farmers lose their crops. People have lost their houses. And, you know, it's a natural disaster that nobody's been reporting on because the Delta is the poorest region, basically, in the U.S. Mm. But Damn. in the late 1800s, near Yazoo City, there were, lived an old woman who, she actually lived on the banks uh, of Yazoo River. And, you know, she was a mean woman. She was not fair to look upon. <laughs> so, so according to the town folks, you know, no one... Oh, uh, that was according to the town folks that she was mean and not fair to look upon. Mm. Uh, and no one really <laughs> wanted to have anything to do with her. Rumor had it on stormy nights, she would lure fishermen from the river into her shack. And I'm like, why? What? <laughs> why? And she would murder them. Okay. And then she would bury their bodies in the dense woods nearby. And I'm going to call bullshit on that. Mm. Okay. Have you ever tried to bury something? Ever anything? Anything ever. Oh, yeah. I can't. I couldn't even bury a goldfish in my like. Okay. So uh, my grandfather's little dog died and he wanted me to bury a hole for her. 
meanest fucking dog ever. <laughs> I was so no, I'm not gonna say that. But <laughs> but yes. Did you kill the dog, Patrice? No, I did not. I did not. I mean, this little shit dog. But I was going to be, I was going to bury it for him. And they live kind of in a swampy area with lots of trees. And as soon as I started digging, I hit root. Mm -hmm. And so I had to get like a fucking axe and a pickaxe. And I had to sit there and just chop roots and try to bury this hole for this little fucking dog. Oh, God. And it was like, it was, I was hours. And I got eaten up by mosquitoes so i totally know where the yellow fever came from <laughs> or how people contracted yellow fever because i mean i was just covered with mosquito bites and i had like the stuff i had off on but because it's a swampy area and it's mississippi it was it was just horrible so anyway so burying like so burying bodies of full-grown men oh god no uh-uh. right and if somebody's going to murder somebody then you know why take the time to do that well I'm just like light a fire or feed them to the alligators or yeah something. throw them in the water throw like, them back they in come the water. out of the water right. throw them in the water so townsfolks i'm calling bullshit but anyway so she supposedly you know buried their bodies in the dense woods nearby and the people feared her and therefore they hated her mm. and of course they called her a witch so, on one autumn day in 1884, a young boy, supposedly, rafted, rafting on the river, passed by her house. And he heard, like, some really strange sounds coming by her house, coming out of her house. So, he tied up his raft, and he went, and he peeped in the window. And there on the floor laid the body of two men. And the old woman stood over them, dressed in black. And she was gazing upwards and waving her hands around and chanting weird incantations. So, obviously, satanic ritual. Clearly. Or maybe a little voodoo. Mm. Or maybe a little both. And so, terrified, the boy ran to town and told the sheriff. Well, the law men wasted no time. Uh, she was probably on property that they wanted, mm. you know. And they They're hurried. Like, Eminent domain. <laughs> they hurried. Exactly. They hurried uh, to the old woman's shack, broke down the door, and the bodies of the old man and the woman was nowhere to be found. So they searched the house and soon found in the attic two skeletons. So I'm mm-hmm. like, they wasted no time. <laughs> Yet by the time they got there, there were skeletons in the attic. Okay. So moments later, <laughs> 20 years later, <laughs> right? Uh, moments later, the men heard a noise outside and they looked out the upstairs window and they saw the old witch running into the swamp, running into the swamps uh, near the river. The sheriff yelled, yelled for her to stop. Like that's going to work. Stop. witch! <laughs> and she only ran faster. And so the men rushed downstairs and followed her. And soon they found her because she had actually went into the swamp and gotten stuck in quicksand. Oh. And so as she sunk into the quicksand, she shouted, I shall return. Everybody always hated me here. I will break out of my grave and exact my revenge on May 25th, 1904. Whoa, that's and a lot to say while you go into quicksand. Then she perished. <laughs> <laughs> so the sheriff and the guys recovered her body the next day and buried her in the center of Glenwood Town Cemetery. 
Oh, see, now I'm surprised they even put her in a cemetery. I know, all that shit. right? Apparently, burial was a big thing back then. People were really into burying people. How do you get someone out of quicksand to bury them? Wouldn't you just leave her there? These are questions I do not have the <laughs> These answer to. These are valid to. questions. <laughs> right? Okay, go ahead. So they, they put her in this cemetery, and they wanted to make sure that she couldn't harm anybody. So around her grave, they put the largest chain they could find. A chain? A chain. They okay. just circled her grave with a chain. How and short is she? Because she has to step over. <laughs> step over. <laughs> Damn, oh. if you can get yourself out of your grave, I think you can deal with a chain around it. <laughs> so, as time went by, of course, the people of Yazoo City forgot about the witch's curse. Until one morning, 20 years later, the morning of May 25th, 1904, a small blaze was discovered mysteriously burning in a home. However, before it could be extinguished, a huge gust of wind carried the fire to a neighboring house. Mm. So despite the townspeople's best efforts, the fire quickly swept through Yazoo City and it destroyed more than 200 homes and pretty much all of the businesses and churches. When it was over, several older residents recalled what the witch's dying words were, so they hurried and went to the cemetery, and they found that the heavy chain encircling the grave was broken in two. <gasps> they left the broken chain undisturbed, and it remains so there to this day. Really? It is rusted and has rusted links to remind visitors of the disaster and not to fuck with witches. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. So the witch's uh, Yazoo City, you know, had curse had been fulfilled, and she's sleeping peacefully now. And on the gravestone, there's only like two letters, and it's T-W, the witch. Nuh-uh, really? However, <laughs> so this is in Glenwood Cemetery. This is true. The, the, there is actually a grave with a heavy chain, an old, heavy, rusted chain that is broken around, like, a gravestone with TW on it. And records show, like, everything burned. It's like, you know, the police station, fire station, city hall, all the records burned. There was no way to, like, see who bought the grave mm. uh, or who was, you know, in the cemetery and whatnot. And so for the longest time, you know, the grave had the TW on the um on the gravestone but it eventually <laughs> sorry i'm having to wrestle my cat rose is like she keeps on climbing up and patrice keeps putting her down and she keeps on climbing up exactly the same way exactly so the records so, are gone so the records are gone mm -hmm. um the the tw gravestone which many saw was either it had to be replaced or something happened to it um i didn't really read uh, much about what happened to it there, but they replaced it with a um, marker honoring a sexton. Which do you know what a sexton is? It's something religious. Like it can a... it can be something religious. Um, it also can be the name of like the graveyard custodian. Okay. So they put a marker in honor of this graveyard custodian, and um, it's basically inscribed with his name and a little bit of the legend of the witch of Yazoo city. And so I was like, God, that's a really cool tale. I don't know if it's true. So I went and looked up, Oh, you know what? I went and looked up, uh, 
to see, because we got that newspaper subscription, if anybody reported about this fire. And this fire really happened. And it really did basically wipe out Yazoo City. And they said it did like $2 million worth of damage, which $2 million worth of damage back in that day was like... 1904, right? 1904 was probably... How much did a dozen donuts cost in 1904? (laughs) Like, we're going to say like $10 million, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, um... So anyway, so that totally legitimizes, you know, the fire and the prediction that the witch had, but they have no record of like who's actually buried there, why there are chains around this grave. And this folk tale or this legend about the witch of Yazoo City has been passed down um, since, you know, the late 1800s and especially since the fire um, as kind of like her retribution against, you know, being chased and killed for being a murderer. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That is my tale. I wonder, like, you know, it's so funny. Part of me is like, I wonder if there's some, hey, stop it. I wonder if there's some, like, there's some poor dude from Yazoo City named, like, Thomas Williams who kept on having his grave vandalized, so they put this chain around him. (laughs) Well, one thing they said is that uh, the, the chain keeps breaking, and that they constantly have to repair it because she did say something um, or something was said that the chains would slow, uh, each chain would uh, break. And when all of them had broken, she would come back. Oh, Jesus. And so they keep repairing this oh, chain. Oh, like she is Jesus. On, no. Oh, my God. Right. I'm going to hell. Um, <laughs> and so they keep repairing the chain and, and, um, like 2016 a couple of like links were missing so some people were like started stealing the chain and also uh like the the stone that's like in honor of the sexton there at the cemetery uh it every time they put it up it would break and so it's like broken now but it's still laying in the grave and i'll put a picture up of this so that fucking girl (laughs) She's about to launch this cat across the room. I love her, but my God, she's tenacious. I know. We'll put her out. Yeah, we'll put her out. Okay. Um, So the Witch of Yazoo City, or the Yazoo City River Witch, is also now known by locals, especially local children, as the Chain Lady. Oh. And they go around saying, I'm not scared of the Chain Lady. I'm not scared of the Chain Lady. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of cool. Hey, cat. Oh my gosh, my Stop. cat is chewing on an electric cord. Oh so if you hear us like go dead or buzz, it's because my cat has electrocuted itself. She has fried. All right, we should go deal with this. Oh, uh, we Back should. In a second. Yes. Uh, Rose. The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion. <laughs> So I was talking to James, and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types, just like the Strange South, Mm -hmm. big supporter. They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities begin, grow, and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive. It's a great atmosphere, great company, and a lot of fun. And it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams' grave, which is haunted. So next time you go to say hi to old Hank, stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. And we're back. So one thing I wanted to mention is um, I think they actually found 
uh, the reason the fire was started. Uh, I think it was a kid playing with matches or something. Is it the same kid that keeps on breaking that damn gravestone marker or whatever? <laughs> I don't know. But they <laughs> said that it was very windy and that this, like, you know, uh, this gonna say spiritual wind but that's not what i'm thinking the supernatural wind oh. uh you know that was like a little bit more gust like hit it just right so that it went you know and completely devastated the downtown area damn they said like three it's like a three by 12 block area of um damage was done holy shit because i mean everything was like butted up right next to each other and it happened in may so it was probably you know hot and dry i don't know i'm just speculating sounds about right sounds about right but there's pictures of it uh the chain and, and the grave which is really cool um because i was kind of like oh no, I'm bullshit <laughs> but uh you know they've got pictures of the grave and it's really you know it's a really interesting tale that I've never heard of before. Yeah. I also, if you happen to be in Yazoo City, which I think you really have to like intentionally go to Yazoo. <laughs> There's no like passing through Yazoo. It's like you, you go but there. But it's the gateway. But it is the gateway. So if you're like in the south going to the Delta from the south Mississippi, um, then you probably might. I don't know. There is like exact directions on how to like find the grave in this cemetery because when I was reading through, a lot of people were like, "Where the grave? We didn't see it. We didn't see it." And somebody uh, that was either like with you know the tourism people there or maybe the ghost tours or the cemetery tours gave a very detailed description of how to find the grave that I'm going to post on our Patreon page. Ooh. So, sneaky. sneaky, right? So if you <laughs> want to know where the grave is, you'll have to pay $3. That cost you $3. Cost you $3. Mhm. Anyway, I thought that was fun. Cool. Yazoo. Yazoo. Oh, and some people there's a lot of like blues singers and musicians from Yazoo. But one of the most famous people from Yazoo City is uh, Zig Ziglar. I know that name. He is like the salesperson, salesperson. He does like the motivational <laughs> speaker trainer for salespeople. Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar. Is that a real name? I surely just, not. Surely not. But, <laughs> you know, that's his brand, his marketing. He's like, like I'm going to say like from the 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, that's real popular. Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar. If you want to learn how to sell something, then read Zig Ziglar. All I ever think of when people talk about stuff like that is the sham wow. Sham wow. Anyway. All right. Well. And now for something completely different. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so. <laughs> I've been I've been telling people for a while that I about this like st- and I'm not doing this story today by the way but this mm-hmm. is how I got to where I'm going. There's a guy named Ronnie Chandler from around here and he was the first man to be sentenced to death under a federal drug kingpin law that was put into effect in 1988. He um let me stop you right there. Explain to me what a drug kingpin law is. Well, according to this law, it was allowing people to be put to death for criminal drug offenses that, so in order to be considered a kingpin, you had to be, you had to have been proven to sell a certain high amount of drug, um, 
I don't know, cargo. Product. product. <laughs> Drug-related products and paraphernalia. <laughs> Zig Ziglar. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> the Zig Ziglar of drug products in this episode. Um, and you had to have been, uh, there's a second criteria. And the third one is you have to have um, either committed or ordered the crime of having someone murdered. The whacking. The whacking. You have to be the one who commits the whacking or demands that other people commit the whacking. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So those were the things that like okay. that were the kingpin definition. Okay, and um, <clears throat> so that happened around. Here. Well, okay, that, go ahead. So this a guy was from Piedmont. What? And um, Piedmont, Alabama's east central Alabama is just north of here. And um, his sentence, he got the death sentence for it, and his sentence was commuted to life without parole at the eleventh hour, like right before Clinton went out of office. And this is the law that they used to get El Chapo. Oh, I mean, wow. like, they this are is not Piedmont, y'all. And this Piedmont. is Piedmont. So if you blink, you'll miss Piedmont. Yeah. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Like, El Chapo ran the Sinaloa drug, drug cartel, and he was filed, <laughs> like, with the same law that got this guy. So, um, but, it like, the he was the first guy to get it, and he was, like, a choir member at the Church of God in Piedmont, and he seemed like everybody else. He had, like, a wife and kids. That sounds about right. He had run for mayor before, um, and then he started, like, dressing in camo and carrying big wads of cash and paying for everything. Oh, my with God. Them. And then people started to say, like, people he didn't, like, started to go missing. Oh, shit. I have done some more research. I'm not going to do that today because, honestly, I'm still concerned about doing it because I've talked yeah. to people who grew up in Piedmont and people who lived in Piedmont in the 80s and 90s, and the one consistent thing i've heard from everybody is that you knew you do not fuck with the chandlers right and there are i mean i don't know that this is i don't know enough to know whether there are family businesses going on here or not but like you can assume there are plenty of people here right people don't leave piedmont you know i mean like you grew up in piedmont you still got people in piedmont right and so like i've honestly been i I was told to tiptoe right and so i'm like i don't know if i really want to do this or not so while I was doing some like kind of side research on that, um, I stumbled on this other story that I just couldn't pass up because the title alone got me. This is a story of the Polk County Pot Plane. <clears throat> Polk County Pot Plane? Mm-hmm. Like plane as an airplane? As an airplane. Okay. The Polk County Pot Plane. So it's August 1975, and... We're on Treat Mountain in Polk County, Georgia, which is like, if Piedmont is East Central Alabama, just north of where I am, which y'all don't know where I am for anything, but anyway, Piedmont is like East Central Alabama, and there's like a, a kind of mountain high hill. We call them mountains, but they're high kind hills. A, it's the Appalachians, a, Yeah, it's a ridge. And right. so the ridge goes across the border, and just on the other side of the ridge, just on the edge is where Treat Mountain is, and it's just like northeast of Buchanan, Georgia, I think is what it is. So Piedmont and Treat Mountain are separated by like 23 miles as the crow flies, but it has to be as the crow flies because like that's this is uncharted territory. This is all private property. Most of it's not developed. You can't get a road. Oh, right. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like people don't want you there. Right. I mean, it's really. No, that's, that's for real. Yeah. Yes. So um, that's where Treat Mountain is. And um, so midnight on August 4th, 1975, this red, white, and blue World War II cargo plane, like, glides low over Treat Mountain and clips the top of the trees and then just, like, drops and disappears. And um, 
That's people, conspicuous. Right? <laughs> but it is, it is midnight. Right? It is midnight. Okay, okay. And it's, but it's like a four-prop plane. There's no way it was not like making a lot of noise. Right. But um, so people see it. And at first, people start calling the sheriff saying they saw a flying saucer. Right. As you do. And then folks are calling the sheriff like, oh, a plane just went down on Treat Mountain. Mm-hmm. And um, so before the cops like they they the deputies went to look for it you know mm-hmm. they're driving up all the red and like i said this is private property there aren't roads that just go to all the places you can't just right find stuff and um so they're on their way and while they they're on their way up the mountain a rental truck and a van covered in mud and honeysuckle just crash out of the woods and nearly forces this deputy car off the road and um, so Buchanan police eventually run down this these two cars. And when they open up the truck, they find three guys, they said, quietly sitting inside on top of 3,200 pounds of pot in bales and 85 kilos of hash bricks. Oh, damn. <laughs> so for, um, for those of you who know nothing about recreational drugs. Because um, we're experts, obviously. Yes, I know. <laughs> Marijuana is the plant material. Hash comes from the resin off the flowers. So they're like, they're from the same thing, but they're kind of, it was so funny. I like, I pulled up this definition. It was like, pot is dried leaves, flowers, seeds, and stems from the cannabis plant. Commonly called pot, weed, Mary Jane, reefer, grass, bud, ganja, and skunk. Marijuana is greenish or slightly gray in color. For those of you who know nothing. Um, so hash is like, it's made from the marijuana plant, but it's made from like the powdery keef stuff that's on the flowers. And then it kind of just gets compressed down into bricks and it's stronger. It's like, it can be up to three times stronger than pot. So um, <laughs> like the more you know. Um, so the value of the load that they had, and I was just thinking like, God, I've never seen a bale of marijuana like, I just can't even no. imagine. But so the value that they had was more than $750,000. Wow. And I thought, and at some point later, I think they revised that upwards of a million, like right. pretty close. Um, so the cops, you know, at this point, they've got these guys and they've got the stash and everything. But they still know that there's like a 1940s cargo plane. Right. That's somewhere. Somewhere on Treat Mountain. Right. So they send up helicopters and they're looking for it. And they finally, it takes them until 2 p.m. the next day, even with helicopters and everything, to cover this area. And they finally find it. It's sitting kind of skewed at the end of a makeshift runway that's just been just bulldozed into the forest. So it's like a handmade runway. And it's only a thousand feet long from tree line to tree line. And um, this is a 93-foot-long plane that landed here. Um, it's lit with, not the plane, the the um, the runway that they made is lit with strings of 100-watt bulbs <laughs> just, like, running, running on a generator. <laughs> oh, my God. And so it's got, you know, it's got stumps and rocks and everything in the runway. And for reference, like, the touchdown zone... That when we fly in airplanes now, you look down and there's that big swath of runway that goes down under you before your plane even touches down. And then you have all that space where they're breaking. Right. Those planes, our planes are way longer than this one. But that touchdown zone is a thousand feet long. Mm -hmm. Like that's the spot that they pass 
over right. going low before they can even touch the plane to the ground. So like this thousand feet is five times shorter. Is this on the mountain? Is this kind on the mountain? So it's kind of like those, those, um, specials that you watch or whatever where people go to like this remote place in South America and it's like it's got like 300 feet runway yes. and they're just like okay hold on it's like the touchdown but no they got, they missed it so they gotta go back they gotta lift back up again right yes. and go back and exactly get it. so this is like so yeah it should have been five times longer to safely land a plane like that the runway should have been 5,000 feet at least right and it's a thousand feet long and it's not even just that it's from tree line to tree line which means right. like there's trees all around yeah. so it's like if you fuck up up, you're in the trees it's exactly so they've done all this <laughs> and apparently so someone has flown a four propeller 1940s cargo plane into treat mountain and stopped it on a dime wow that pilot is awesome and it's exactly because i was like <laughs> i'm looking through these newspaper articles from this time and it is impossible to find one article that doesn't just hint at at least a little bit of admiration for the dude that flew this plane right and that's what makes it so funny is like everybody's kind of like damn though (laughs) and so they um and then there was a new york times article that quoted there's a guy named matt chumley mac mac chumley who was a helicopter pilot who found the plane when Mm -hmm. he was flying over he said the pilot landed in 350 to 400 feet he said he just locked it down and slid it all the way from what it looked like and he said that was a whole lot of pilot bringing in that wildwood seed he had to be a whole lot of good and a whole lot of nuts (laughs) right So this same article went on and said five men in their 20s were arrested that night and eight others were arrested later at a motel where they waited with $180,000 in cash. And the quote was, the men said they just couldn't recall how they happened to have that much money in a suitcase. (laughs) 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 So, But they were from... um, Mostly Midwest, I think, like Illinois and Michigan, but there were two guys from Georgia, and one was the son of a Fulton County commissioner, which Uh, if you're not familiar with Georgia, that's Atlanta, the Fulton County. Mm -hmm. And um, so, um, like, the next night, the men, the trucks, and the dope were all in the Harrelson County Jail right there. And locals started, like, crowding around the jail to get a look at, like, the stash and the people. Because this is, like... Big news. The biggest thing that ever happened in, like, Buchanan and Polk County was, like, traffic issues. This is according to the sheriff. He's like, we got some traffic here. (laughs) I mean, like, that's it. And um, so they wanted to see the contraband. And this, like, one... It said one local onlooker looked at the bricks of hash and said, Bye, Joe, I've never seen none of that, Sheriff. It looks just like brown mule chewing tobacco. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Um, but, so, you know, to be fair, it kind of does. Yeah. kind of does. Oh, no, he's not wrong. No. It's just funny because they're it just is. like, wow, this is like a thing Big happening. News, right? So it took another week for them to track down the pilot of the plane after they found the plane. He's 27-year-old Robert A.B., I think, Abby E.B.Y., and he's from Fort Lauderdale. Um, he was a naval architect. He was a former carrier pilot. So I guess that explains the ability oh, to drop, drop and, and short. Yeah. Yes. Um, and Makes he sense. had he had bought the plane at auction in, I can't remember where he said it was, and then fixed it up himself. He had done all the work on it and everything. Did he like paint it red, white, and blue? I don't know. That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I would imagine that World War Two cargo planes were probably like not red white and blue right. were probably like the a green. nondescript khaki green right. yeah like um so while he was getting his fingerprints taken um after they had found him he told them that if they modify the runway a little bit he could fly that plane up out of there for him if 
if they wanted him to. Because seriously, that became right. the problem. It, it, sure. This plane is sitting up there, and they're like, how the hell are we going to get this plane up off Treat Mountain? Because nobody is people are volunteering they're like oh yeah i can get that plane up oh, off there and God. everybody's like yeah fuck you can You're like right? ain't nobody gonna be able to get this plane up off in this thousand foot runway so was that the first time that he had landed the plane or had he done this before he had done jobs like this before it but sounds like but he then... hadn't landed uh, for the, I, it sounds so like had... they bought this plane for this run uh, okay um, and they may it, it they may have done one before it but they didn't land it here right so um so meanwhile, so the plane's just sitting there up mm-hmm. on the top of the mountain and um, people, of course, because it's the South and it's the 70s and right. it's small and rural and ain't nobody got nothing to do. So people start wandering around to take photos of the plane and the, people are coming from like Kansas wow. and South Carolina. And so one lady said, we came over the other Sunday to look, but you couldn't get within a country mile of it for the people because there were all these people just like waiting to see it. Um so it turns out, though, the plane was the seventh in 10 months to crash or be confiscated smuggling drugs in the southeast. Hmm. Um, the Polk County Sheriff, his name was Seal Swafford. He said that he was outside the courthouse at around 1150 p.m. that night that the plane and he said he watched a red, white and blue marked plane fly directly over the courthouse. And he said he told a deputy half jokingly, look at there at that airplane. He recalled. That's probably another load of pot coming in. Oh. <laughs> and so apparently this is an extensive business, this whole pot business in the Southeast in the 70s. So there was an AJC article by a guy named Jim Stewart that said that um, one of the deputy sheriffs in Polk County said, it's almost getting to the point where a fella stands as good of a chance of getting beaned by a jettison bag of marijuana as he does getting mugged. Because it's happening all the time. Wow. So it says airplanes loaded with weed have been falling with abandon over the southeast, particularly in Georgia, where dozens of the airfields are invitingly isolated. So um, a lot of them are crashing. A lot of them are being apprehended. But they just keep on coming. So in the late 60s, smugglers had started using really big planes to run these routes between Columbia and the southeast. And sometimes they would stop in like Fort Lauderdale or or somewhere down in in South Florida. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they would fuel up or whatever. And then they would go on and Mm -hmm. drop it somewhere in the mountains. Right. And um, at over time, like they evolved to smaller planes because shit like this is happening you know (laughs) these massive ass cargo planes but they've got these big cargos but they keep on getting like fucked over and you know right so there was a um james dingfelder from the regional u.s customs office in miami said that um it took them a while to convince washington that they needed planes to combat drug runners but they finally got them but they got them like you know it's like things always happen. They get, we get like last year's planes. We get the tiny planes and these guys are driving these big planes and we get these tiny planes. Right. So he said there are like two different things that these smugglers were doing to evade detection. It's funny. You think about this and you're like, our airspace is so tightly controlled now that mm-hmm. there's no way you think there's just no way this shit could happen now. Right. But, um, so they can do two things. They can do on the deck flying or piggyback flying. So, um, on the deck, if they wanted to evade detection by customs, they would fly down towards the mainland, drop within 50 feet of the water, and they were under the radar. Like, 
tech, oh. like actually under right. the radar, but it was really dangerous yeah. and it used a lot of fuel. And so not a lot of people did it, but there was a piggybacking technique where if two planes flew really, really close to each other, they looked like one dot. Oh, wow. And so you had to have two people working together, mm-hmm. but then you would register a legitimate flight plan mm-hmm. and then one would deviate and the other would follow the flight plan and uh, so nothing ever came up. It was like nothing had ever happened. So they right. would go to Columbia and then they'd go back. And because one followed the flight plan, that's all they ever saw. Right. And um, so it was really funny when he was talking about like how they caught people. Because he said, when customs spot a dope runner in the air, the usual procedure is to try and follow him, hoping to bag his accomplices. Sometimes, however, they will try for an airborne arrest. And a quote is... The way that works is custom agents fly up next to the plane, wiggle their wings, and then hold up some extra large badges to the window. Oh my god! <laughs> and, it's like, and this Pull is the customs over. officer. I know, and Pull he's like, over. that often results in the other guy starting evasive action. Right? <laughs> no shit. Or like flipping them off and yeah, <laughs> running away. Exactly. So, um, so anyway, that was um, that was the way that things were happening there. So it wasn't, it wasn't an unusual thing. It was like a trend in mm-hmm. the Southeast. Um, but so back to the pot plane, it's stuck on the mountain mm-hmm. after thousands of sightseers go to look at it. They auction it off and a former state representative named Jim West buys it for 20,000 at auction. They had, at one point they were talking about like cutting it into pieces to haul it down. Cause they didn't right. know what they were going to do. Or with make it. a museum out of it. Exactly. Obviously it was making money. Yes. It was making plenty. So he bought the land that it was sitting on in addition to the 20,000 for the plane. And then he extended the landing strip so they could fly it out. But he also talked to the people who had the pilot and the people who had done the run Mm -hmm. and he bought their rights to their story. So West had been in his own private helicopter. This guy sounds like a dick and a half, by the way. (laughs) He, He, like I said, he was a former state representative. He had been in his own private helicopter and he had had the governor with him. And they went like in the days after this had happened, they flew over the plane and, um, it was surrounded by FBI and he just took his helicopter down no. and he was like, they met us at gunpoint until they knew who we were. And I'm like, that's cause you're an asshole mm-hmm. because they're like, you're in my fucking way. Right. But, um, so he went down and like wanted to look at it and he wanted to talk to the pilots. So he got the rights to the story because he wanted to make a movie from it. And, uh, he made the movie. Mm. It's called in hot pursuit. But, um, it, so if you want to find it, you usually have to look for in hot pursuit. It also went under the name Polk County pot plane. <laughs> And it was basically filmed in Jim West's fucking backyard. Oh, so it's it's good quality. Oh, it's amazing. I, of course, watched the entire thing yesterday. Did you really? Yes, I did. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, it's got local residents as actors. And um, he said he actually asked the people who were arrested for the crimes to be in the movie. And their lawyers told him no. I was like, this guy was such a fuckhead. <laughs> I was like, but um, it's an awful, awful movie. You don't say. Just in case you couldn't guess. It's like nonstop chase movie. And it's full of car stunts. No trick photography. No special effects. No stuntmen. And... Like I said, I watched the entire thing. It like it starts out with the opening song reminded me like the visuals reminded me of the opening to the Dukes of Hazard mm. because it had like the car chase going on yeah. and then it had the little like pop out box with the person's what face. What was the song to the Dukes of Hazard? That- oh, making their way any way they know yeah, how. You remember it. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why it was Waylon Jennings. And I was like, yeah. but the opening song on this sounded like Benny Hill meets Waylon Jennings. Oh my God. It was like, <laughs> like that. 
And so that's like how they introduce the whole idea, oh right? Oh my goodness. The lead guy's name, the lead character's name is Douche Watson. His name is Douche Watson. And he, with his friends Oosh, Bubble Eye, and Sky, <laughs> you meet. You just need to stop. Oh my God. Because you're making this shit up. I'm not, man. <laughs> I'm so not. It's all over YouTube. It's So the pilot, they call the pilot Big Jim. And, like, it starts with, like, them picking up drugs from Big Jim. And then, of course, it immediately goes into a very, very long car chase. And, like, so they shot everything. It's not like they didn't have any budget. Like, this dude, Jim West, like, bought a shit ton of... He had the plane. He bought helicopters. He bought cars. He bought the land. He bought 18 wheelers. Mm-hmm. And he destroyed them all. So it's wow. like, there are no stuntmen, no he had stunt a dream. drivers. He had a dream. Oh, he had a dream. He did. It was a big fucking phallic-shaped dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it took a lot of gas. And um, a lot of machismo, uh, right? Like the tops of cars get shaved off. There are scenes where like cop cars drive straight under eighteen wheelers, and the whole top comes. I was like, they didn't have stuntmen for the show, mm. and it was all local performers. So it was like just dudes are like, oh, this is gonna be amazing. <laughs> like, I can do this. So douche and oosh and all their friends in the story, they get arrested. <laughs> And then there's, like, this scene where these kingpins are sitting around. These are supposed to be the kingpins, okay? There's four of them. Three of them are wearing, like, business suits. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting in what looks like probably, like, your grandpa's study. It's, like, clearly filmed in Jim Wist's house. Mm -hmm. And and then there's this fourth guy who's like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to remember who this guy is. His name is Sandy. He's the fourth kingpin. And Mm -hmm. he's wearing, like, a Bear Bryant hat. Without it's not houndstooth, but it's like that style. Right. And he looks a little like him and he's like belligerent. And we're like, okay, we're gonna know you again later. We get it. Mm-hmm. Move on. So like they've they're talking about whether they're gonna like spring these guys from jail or not. And I'm like, of course you don't. Like drug kingpins don't spring for their little fall guys. Right. But they do. Oh. They send a helicopter to jail and somehow Kingpins these guys I know. And somehow these guys are like have managed to all four get on the roof of the jail. For this helicopter to come in and pick them up, and they hang off the like, mm. they hang Little off James the bottom Bond of the exactly. action there. Wow! And then they go back, and Sandy's like, "Okay, I saved you. I've got another job for you." So, and the funny thing is, they get out of jail, and they get out of this like getaway car, and they take off their 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 jumpers from jail, and it's just like their normal clothes underneath. I was like, um. That's not how that works. Because this whole thing has been believable up until this point. I know. I don't know why I'm still nitpicking on like what they're wearing under their jumpers. But um so now they're now they have to now they have to steal pot in an eighteen wheeler. Okay. Part two. Part two. Um The Atlanta story. So like he this is where he totally like is feeling his oats, Jim West, with this car chase thing. This like you said, man, he's got a dream, living the dream. Mm-hmm, there is large. there's like zero timing to these car chases. Mm. And so they start this like gag where all all you've seen for five, ten minutes is 18 wheelers being chased by cop cars. Mm, and sometimes ex- exactly, sometimes very slowly, you know, like mm-hmm. down highways. And then they start this house gag where all of a sudden you cut to people you've never seen before and they're loading a modular home up on the back of a truck and the one guy's counting the money and saying, I finally decided on this one. It's $7,000 and he counts all the money and he's like, I want that at my house with no shingles damaged and no scratches on it. So you're sitting there like, okay, well, I see where we're going here. That's how you talk to people. That's It it is exactly how you talk to people. But it's like, okay, well, it's very clear what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. We know what's going to happen to this modular house. Mm -hmm. No surprises. It takes them 
six minutes to consummate this gag. Six minutes of shots between 18 wheelers and this modular home going fucking nowhere. So does a plane fly through the modular home? Oh my home? God. No, that would have been even better though. No, eventually, of course, the 18 wheeler goes straight through the modular home. Everything just goes crazy. Just, you know, and, um, and the music in that scene sounded like, like a 1970s cartoon kids show. It was like, I was fascinated and in love with the music in this entire film. You've got to watch it. So they go back. Sandy decides he's going to charge them $150,000 for the truck and the lost load of pot that flew off the truck when they ran through a house. Hmm. So they're like, okay, we have to get an armored car and steal the money. Part three, another car chase. There's like very little dialogue in between. And what there is, you just wish there was less of. Um, So like, and, and now we go into like, normal 70s style like heavy bass electric guitar synth flute like you know what i mean like so um the slowest heist in history happens three minute montage of 18 wheelers doing nothing for no reason that you understand um two of our guys get shot by guards to the accompaniment of very very sad desperado music And I fast forwarded through a half an hour at this point. And every time I saw a person talk, I stopped. And every time I stopped, it was a cop saying, we're in pursuit. Oh, my God. (laughs) And and then they'd start like, so this final chase scene they do is like this, the epitome of what he wants to do here. It's like they do this like um, (coughs) they do this Charlie Chaplin kind of like country slash Charlie Chaplin music. And then they have like random civilians getting their cars doors smashed off by cop cars driving through too fast. And it's like, oh, it's so funny. There's a woman at a car lot and the guy's like, hope you enjoy your new car. It's like, oh, my God. She parks it. So they actually go a little further with this one. Listen, she parks it in her garage and then the guys drive by and their car has been totaled by now. And they like they're like, oh, my God, here's a car. So they jump in there and they take her car and they pull their car in. That's all totaled. And then you like cut to this woman with the car, the, the garage door closed. And she's inexplicably standing outside her closed garage door with a group of small children. And she she says, I got the most beautiful new car ever. And then pulls up the garage door and like screams and does one of those like faint takes where you fall into someone's oh, arms. Oh my gosh. It's really pretty fucking amazing. Oh my gosh. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, and then finally at the very end of the movie, Big Jim comes in and proposes this big plane thing to Columbia where they are going to get all this money from Columbia and fly the plane onto Treat Mountain. I'm like, I thought that's where we fucking started. Right? Like, what have we been doing this whole time? Oh my God. And, uh, yeah, so, and the, the landing of the plane, which is, you would think, like, the big, dramatic, mm-hmm. like, big thing. It's shorter than the fucking game of pool that they play when they're making their negotiation. I mean, it's, like, it's ridiculously bad. So, but it, then it ends with, like, Super Friends music. And um, then there's a, a final theme song that is actually called Pot Plane. Written and performed by some guy named Michael Loren, and or Lauren, I assume maybe it's Michael Lauren. <laughs> and I caught it off of YouTube on Audacity, and I uh, am going to send it to you. And so, if you're listening to this right now, stay tuned because I'm going to see if Patrice can put this on the end of the podcast because it's worth listening to. Pot plane, pot plane by Michael Lauren. That <laughs> is my story. 
Oh my god. And I'll give you the link if you would like to know more than just my Honestly, the music is really you you got to at experience. least you really got to at least click on it and just flip through a little bit and hear some of what they do. You oh, really do. Wow. So that's my story. Oh my goodness. Synopsis of one of the worst movies ever. Wow. <laughs> Pope County Pot Plane. Pope County Pot. <laughs> You're going to love it. Thanks, y'all, for listening. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth.